Oh, good evening. Thank you for coming back tonight. You are missing the Lions game, and I am missing the Broncos game. But you're in the right place. Amen? So I'm very happy to see all of you back. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. When you read the Bible, sometimes you read portions of it that don't make sense. Sometimes you read portions of it that are difficult to understand. And at times you even read things that may seem morally offensive. And what you have to remember as you read the Bible, including the Old Testament, is that this whole book is pointing to one person. The Bible is written by many authors over a long period of time. It wasn't a book that floated down all at once from heaven. It was given over time, written in historical context and in certain writing methods. But ultimately, the Bible is all about getting us to Jesus Christ. So you have to keep in mind that oftentimes the Old Testament was written in a very different culture with very different lifestyles. It was written to and by nomads. It was written by people that live with an Eastern, not a Western mindset. It was written by poets and kings and prophets and shepherds. And so the Bible has a a vastness that takes deep study. I do believe that the Holy Spirit of God can illumine anyone to understand many truths But the Bible is also, in many ways, a very deep book that people do spend years studying. But one of the most famous preachers from England said these words, Anywhere you cut the Bible, it bleeds the blood of Jesus. And if you will look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, we're going to see the beauty of this dispensation or this age that we are in. In the Old Testament... How they pleased God, now they were saved by faith in the Old Testament, but how they pleased God was by keeping a bunch of rules, right? That is why we call it the Old Testament law, or the Ten Commandments. Do these things and don't do these things. But in the new dispensation, in the new era instituted by Jesus, we no longer simply follow laws. For example... With your kids, you have to give them a bedtime. You have to make them go to school. You have to give them a list of things they can and cannot do. You have to monitor their cell phone. You have to check whether or not they brush their teeth, right? Every little thing with your kids, you have to check up on them because they have not grown up. And the Old Testament is indicative of the spirituality of man. We needed a list of rules to tell us what to do and what not to do at all times. But as we're going to see in 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, under this new age instituted in Christ, Christianity is not just about being children and following a list of rules, but actually being mature enough by being filled with the Spirit of God that you don't need rules because you're so close to God. He is living out of you. The Bible calls it growing up in Him. And so a baby Christian needs lots of rules, lots of do's and don'ts. They need a very strict, regimented life. But as we mature in life, the Holy Spirit is to take us 
And it doesn't mean we don't obey those old laws, but it means we develop more to be like Jesus further than the Old Testament laws. For example, most of us know the Ten Commandments, and one of them is thou shalt not commit adultery. But do the Ten Commandments say thou shalt not beat your wife? They don't. But how many of you would agree beating your wife is wrong? Uh, They also say, they do not say, thou shalt not beat your husband either. I said that in one church a couple weeks ago, and a man in the front said, thank you, sir. (laughs) This isn't confession. We can do that later. But the point that I'm making is when you have laws, you could never have enough laws to cover everything, right? Because there's always going to be a loophole. But in Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit to help you to grow up so that God doesn't have to simply give you a a list of do's and don'ts, but the Holy Spirit is bearing the fruit, which is love. For example, if you love your husband or wife, will you cheat on them? No. If you love someone, will you kill them? If you love someone, will you lie to them or about them? If you love someone... You're not going to steal, you're not going to lie, and you're not going to be covetous because you're going to be happy in their blessings. And so actually, if we are walking in the Spirit and Jesus is living through us, we don't even need the law. Because the Spirit of God is transforming us into the image of Christ. Because if you remember, when Jesus came, He said, you have heard of old time... The Old Testament law says don't commit adultery. But Jesus said, even more than that, I say, superior to the law, that if you look on a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery in your heart. But so many Christians never get past the baby stage of following rules into the stage of having their heart changed by the Spirit of God. You see, when you, when you feel like you're doing a good job of keeping the rules, you begin to get very proud. Like, look at how long I've been keeping the Ten Commandments. Look at me. Look at what I've done. But when you're walking in the Spirit, you see that there are things the Spirit teaches you and convicts you of that may not even be found as a black and white, right or wrong, in the law. Jesus said, you have heard of old time. It was said to you, thou shalt not kill. But I say that if you hate your brother, you have killed him in your heart. Jesus took the law and he said, yeah, that was good. The law is not evil. That was good. We needed that. But now it's time to step it up and to yield yourself to the Spirit. And not just, look at me, I'm a great Christian because I followed all the rules. But now, a working of the Spirit Not just to transform what you do, but who you are in the inside. That is the work of the Spirit of God. And that's what we're going to see in chapter 3, leading into our passage in chapter 4. So let's start in in chapter number 3, verse number 1. And and you're going to see all of what I just said kind of explained here in 2 Corinthians 3, verse number 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? The very apostle that had done miracles and preached the gospel, now they're saying, well, these Judaizers came in and said, we need to keep the law. They know more about the Bible than you, Paul. And he's saying, listen, we we don't need some Old Testament law to brag about our knowledge to prove that we are good enough to preach to you. And he goes on to explain why in verse number 2. 
Ye are our epistle or letter written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, you are a letter declaring the truth of our, our testimony, not with a, a physical letter, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust we have through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now look with me down at verse number 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, meaning the Old Testament law, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read the Old Testament, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into His image, the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here's the point. In 1 Corinthians, this church was full of sin. Having been to the 1040 window, I, I have seen and experienced despicable things. I shared in Sunday school this morning about the young boys who had meat hooks placed in their backs and were suspended from trees. In many of the Hindu temples, especially more in the past, they took young girls and they were abused as a part of the worship. There are sensual practices that happen to the worship of their gods. They have drunken parties to worship their gods. There is immorality and fornication week after week in this drunken parties to their gods. And I know this sounds so vulgar to us, but this is the kind of church that Paul is writing to in 1 Corinthians. There was fornication, people sleeping around in the church. They were fighting. The rich people were coming and, and showing off their, their riches. And the poor people had to come and they were hungry. And the church was a mess. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians and he said, you need to grow up and love one another. You're all focused on, yeah, we believe on Jesus, but we, we think we're good because we got saved by this guy and we got saved by this guy. And he's saying, no, you need to grow up in love. And then in 2 Corinthians, people came in and said, you have to keep the Old Testament law to really know God. And he's saying, no, you don't. You need the Spirit of God to transform you into the image of Christ. And this is more than a, I kept the rules, I came to church, I read my Bible. It's not just about the rules, it's about who we are on the inside being changed. And I want to ask you a question. What was the last time that you sensed the Spirit of God working in your life? What was the last time that you sensed the Holy Spirit as you were walking through your day say, stop and pray for this person? What was the last time you sensed the Holy Spirit say, stop and go witness to that person? 
When was the last time the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart and said, stop and call that person and ask them for forgiveness? Stop. You have just misspoken and go and apologize. The Holy Spirit said, stop what you're doing and forgive. Stop what you're doing and and give. The Bible says, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When I was growing up, my pastor used to tell us this, obey every prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's that still small voice that says, don't do this, don't do that, go there, don't go there, apologize, forgive, obey. But so many times our Christianity is, I'm going to do the list that I can do so I feel good, but the Christian life is to be a, a person totally surrendered over to the moving of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that the men of the Old Testament were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that we are to be filled with the Spirit, that we are to walk in the Spirit. And and the way I think of it is this. Have you ever seen somebody and they have lost themselves to music? You ever pulled up to somebody, next to somebody in the car, and you can't hear the music? All you can hear is, boom, boom. And you look over there and like, yes. Have you ever seen that? Or you're watching a football game and they play this, the funny dance music and there's, just, there's always that one weirdo who doesn't care and he's just you know, losing himself to the music, right? Now as Baptists, we don't do that. But you know what I'm talking. Have you seen somebody else do it, right? You know, well, we do dance just to look for the bare necessities. right. We all danced that when we were kids, okay? But that music sweeps in and it's like, whoa, I'm kind of, I'm swept up with this. We get, you can get swept up in the music. And it's like a wind feeling the sails and carrying it away. And that is how we are to be with the Holy Spirit. We are supposed to open our sails and say, Holy Spirit of God, move through me to love people. Move through me to forgive. Move through me to share the gospel. Move through me to love my family. Move through me in prayer. And it sounds kind of spooky, right? I'm not talking about the spooky thing that happens in, in other churches. Maybe I shared this with you last time I was here. And so I've seen preachers say, when the Holy Spirit comes on somebody, they're accused of acting drunk. So they must have been acting drunk. And this preacher would swing his arms, and people in the service would just fall over and start acting drunk and laughing and stumbling around. If it's a sin to be drunk, why would the Holy Spirit make you act drunk? I I don't think that's the point of the passage. Uh, There's one church, and I saw this video, and they believe that when the Holy Spirit came down on people, that that they lost control of themselves. And this one man started running up and down the the aisle, crowing like a chicken. Now, if somebody did that here, we'd be like, that person needs serious help. And actually, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. If you call it the Holy Spirit and everybody's speaking in tongues and acting drunk and going wild, people will think you're insane. But the Holy Spirit sweeps into our lives and fills us with love and joy and peace and long-suffering. Now, everywhere I go, people say, oh, we have the worst drivers here. I'll be honest, there's dumb drivers in every state. And sometimes I'm one of them. (laughs) But long-suffering, walking in the Spirit will fill you with a patience that you don't naturally have. Just the other day, 
I was driving, and I have nothing against Tennessee, but I'll be honest, that's one of the most annoying states for me to drive through. When you hit Alabama on I-10 going south, everybody's going 90. Everybody. And it's just straight. So it's just like accepted. It says 70. The cops aren't going to pull you over unless you're going like 150. I'm serious. That's just how it is. But you hit Tennessee, and there's the hills going up and down, and everybody goes, even the people in the fast lane go 70 up the hill, 95 down, 70 up the hill, 95. And I'm like, would you just pick a speed? I really want to get around you, but I can't. And I'm driving like, i got to go preach, okay? (laughs) And I'm not even joking. And the Holy Spirit's like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I just got, I just got a, a manual car. So, you know, they say that was an anti-millennial theft device because <laughs> we, we didn't, you know, learn to drive with, with manuals. Well, now I can steal your manual, okay? But I got a manual, and I realized that, you know, pushing in the clutch and all of this, I don't drive like everybody with an automatic does. I'm like, why are, you, why are you already slowing down? And I'm getting frustrated because I'm trying not to lurch and look like a moron driving this manual, And the Holy Spirit says, there's your impatience again. There's your frustration. There's no law that can change that, right? Doesn't the law say, thou shalt not kill, but does that stop people from killing? Doesn't the law say, thou shalt not steal, but does that stop people from stealing? Doesn't the law say, do not bear false witness, which means don't lie about people, don't gossip? It does say that, but how many of you know it still happens? And so the point is, we don't need more laws. We need to be changed on the inside. I know it's wrong for me to be impatient. I know it's wrong for me to be proud. I know that. I have the law. The law doesn't fix my problem. It just makes me feel bad by making me aware of how messed up I am. But the Holy Spirit, when I die to myself and say, God, I'm going to be who you want me to be. God, I'm going to let your Holy Spirit move through me. That is where the change in the Christian life happens. And that is something that you can't force, you can't work for. That's not something you can do by your own self-effort. If I'm going to be patient, if I'm going to be humble, if I'm going to walk in purity, if I'm going to walk in love, if I am going to put others before myself, that has to be something. It doesn't come by knowing more. It comes by giving more of yourself to the Holy Spirit of God. And I think that is when our churches and our lives will begin to impact the lost for Jesus Christ. Just a couple weeks ago, I was driving back from Indiana, and I I was feeling very convicted. I was like, God, I have not shared the gospel with somebody. I I was busy preaching. I seen people saved in, in camps and things like that. But I was just so convicted. I was like, God, I have not shared the gospel personally with anybody in like a month. I haven't, I haven't even told someone personally about the gospel in a month. I said, God, this is not where I want to be. This is not who I want to be. I said, I don't know how to do it. I, I just get it busy in my day. And so I said, God, today I'm going to try and listen to the Holy Spirit. And I'm not always like this. I don't want to lift myself up. But this is just how God has used this in my life. And so I'm driving back, and I'm known as being a penny pincher. I call it being frugal, all right? And I'm driving back, and I always want to get the best gas because I drive a lot. So I'm gonna, if I can save five cents in the long run, that's going to save me a lot of money. And I pass a gas station, 
I'm like, oh, that was good. If I see that price again, I'm going to stop. And I go past another gas station that's that price, and I'm thinking, okay, I should stop here. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying, don't stop there. Just, just in my heart. You know, not, not audible. I don't hear God's voice, don't stop there. Okay, that's not what it is. But just that still small voice, and I'm, I'm like, okay, I won't stop there. And I keep driving, and the price goes up. And I'm like, well, I'm definitely not stopping there. And the Holy Spirit says, that's where I want you to stop. And I'm like, no. So I keep driving. And the person in front of me slows down. And the Holy Spirit says, that's where I want you to stop. And I'm like, but that's more expensive gas. And the Holy Spirit's like, that's where I want you to stop. So I'm like, okay. You know, I just, I whip it over there. And I, I pull in. And I make sure I have a track. And I walk inside. And you know how a lot of times people aren't that friendly. They're just there watching you come in. Well, I walk in, and the guy goes, hey, how are you today? And I'm like, oh, that means he probably wants to talk to me. So I walk up to him, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? And we have a little conversation. I hand him the track, and I kind of look around, and no one else is in the convenience store. So I, I ask him. Th- this guy looks like he probably just recently got out of prison. I said, hey, man, has anyone ever shown you from the Bible how you can know your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven? He's like, no, no, no one's ever told me that before. I said, well, nobody's in here. Could I just talk to you about that? He said, yeah, yeah, I don't care. So right there, I got to go through the gospel with him. And right there in that convenience store, that man received Jesus Christ as a Savior. And, and somebody came in, and I, the conversation kind of got broken up. And I went outside, and I realized, oh, I need to fill up my tires. So I pull over. I go back inside to get some change. And I just looked at him, and I said, you know, I, I don't want to weird you out. I said, but I wasn't going to stop here, and I felt like God told me to stop here so I could talk to you. And he said, I don't think that's weird. He said, I think that's awesome. And now that guy has an opportunity for a new life. Not because I did anything special. Not because I obeyed the law. Because in my own strength, I couldn't do it. I would just forget. But that is the way the Holy Spirit wants to work in us and move in us and carry us along in our lives. It's a spiritual truth that has to be experienced. It can't just be taught. So let me ask you, have you yielded your heart to the Holy Spirit? And it's not something you just do once. It's something you have to do every single day. You wake up in the morning, and if you're like me, you just wake up cranky. And coffee helps, but it doesn't fix your heart. And I need to get up, and I need to be thankful, and I need to say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me today? And then, and then you go throughout the day, and you start to get cranky or irritated or stressed or busy, or, or your just heart is covetous, and it's wrong, and you need to stop and say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me again? Because that is the ministry of the work of God, and it supersedes the Old Testament law of keeping a bunch of rules. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you can't take credit for any of the good things you do because it's not you. It's all because of Him. Now, following up on that, we come into chapter number 4. So would you look with me at chapter number 4 and verse number 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, this ministry of being filled with the Spirit, this ministry of of being like Jesus and sharing the gospel. As we have received mercy, we faint not. Have you received mercy? Have you been saved? Have you been forgiven? 
Are there things in your life that if anybody knew what you had done, you would be totally humiliated? If anybody knew what you said, what you thought, the imaginations of your heart? Are there things in your life that if anybody else found out, you would just be totally embarrassed? All of those things can be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you may be thinking of something now. You may be able to think of something later, but guess what? If you have put your faith in Jesus, if you have confessed it before God, it is gone, and the Bible says He will remember it no more. Aren't you happy for that? Because sometimes we remember our old sins and we feel guilty again, right? Has that ever happened to you? That happened to me two nights ago. I was a wrestler in college, uh, in high school, and, and I didn't get to wrestle in college. My school didn't have it, but, but sometimes I'd wrestle around with guys in the dorm. And there was this one guy who, I wasn't trying to pick on him, but, but sometimes I'd just kind of wrestle around with him a bit, and, and he was newly saved. And I didn't understand where he was coming from because I had my doctrines and I had the truth and I was just, and homosexuals can't get saved. And, and I just was really kind of brutal because I was living in the law. And I would get in kind of discussions with this guy and put him down because he didn't know as much as I did. Sometimes I would kind of wrestle him around and, and, and one time he just snapped. He started cursing at me and punching me in the back of the head. And I remember going back to him later and apologizing. But because I was more concerned that he think and believe like I think instead of loving him, I didn't invest in him as much as I should have. And he went home and he got back into drugs. And his life went down the wrong turn. And, and I ran into him again and he wasn't bitter at me. He was happy to see me. We had made things right. But can I tell you what Satan was doing to me two nights ago? That was your fault. If you were just a better Christian, maybe he wouldn't have left the college. If you were just a better Christian, if you were just a, a nicer person, maybe if you loved more then instead of being so pharisaical. And I'm laying there in bed and Satan is beating me to death. And Jesus says, if you've confessed it, it's over. Jesus said, I love him and I was still working on him because it's not all about you. And I got out of bed and I got on my knees and I said, God, I, I cannot sleep because I am so guilty over my selfishness and my pride in what I did. God, I'm so convicted because here I am a preacher and I know the struggles that I have. And the Holy Spirit said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I got in my bed and I said, I have to believe that because of Jesus Christ, it is just as if that sin never, ever happened. And I may remember it, but if I truly confessed it, God does not remember it anymore. I'm so thankful for that. We have received mercy again and again and again and again. We have received mercy from God for our rebellion, for our selfishness, for our pride, for our dishonesty, for our sensuality, for our lack of love towards Christ and His Gospel. We are forgiven again and again. And this is what Paul says, seeing we have received this mercy, we faint not. Can I encourage you with something tonight? Never give up. Never stop sharing the gospel. We do not share Jesus Christ because we are perfect. We share Jesus Christ because He is perfect.
We don't share Jesus Christ because we are spiritual. We share Jesus Christ because the Spirit of God can conform a man's heart. We don't share Jesus so people can be like us. Because let me tell you something. If I told somebody, yeah, if you get saved and become like me, you can go to church every night. Most Christians don't like going to church every night. Nobody's going to get saved so they can be like me. They're going to get saved because I have received mercy and they need mercy too. Look with me at verse number two. We have, we're not going to quit, never give up because we've received mercy. And if God keeps forgiving us, keep sharing the gospel because God wants to forgive others. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Use the word of God to say what God says and not to prove a point. Have you ever met somebody and, and they use the Bible not to tell you what it says, to, but to support some position that they have? They use the Bible not as the sword of the Spirit to to help you spiritually, but as the sword of the Spirit to destroy you, right? Because the Word of God is not just a a sword to cut people down. It's also the bread that fills their souls, right? The Word of God is the bread for our souls. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And this is not a book to defend our positions. This is not a book to to fill us with knowledge so that we can be better than other people. Because your Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that if you have all knowledge and you understand all mysteries and you have faith so that you could remove mountains but you have not shared your love, you are nothing. You could know more about the Bible than anyone else in this church And your Bible says, if you do not love, you are nothing. That's a shocking verse. You can look up 1 Corinthians 13 and read it later. Now, am I saying, don't read the Bible? That's not what I'm saying. But the Bible was not given to puff us up with knowledge, to fill our heads with with more facts. It was given to change us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we don't use the Bible to support positions We use the Bible to teach people about Jesus and God and how they can be conformed to His image. But oftentimes this is used more as a hammer to smack people over over the head than it is the sword to divide and show people truth. And so our motives when we use the Bible are very important. Now would you look with me at verse number 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. One time I was in Juneau, Wisconsin, and I was training to do an evangelism program, and I I went outside, and, and we were experiencing revival. I was there with 40 other guys, 18 to 21, and one night, a man preached, and nobody responded to the preaching. Nobody moved. Nobody came forward. It was a really good message. But we were just so tired and dead spiritually, nobody budged. And a man got up after he preached and looked at us 40 guys, and he said, 
I don't know why none of you responded to that because that is exactly what you guys needed to hear. And he said to us, you will never experience revival until you become desperate for God. He said, until you become as desperate as a man in the desert craving water and food, you will never truly experience revival in in your life. And, And just those few phrases broke us. And spontaneously, 18 to 21-year-olds began to turn around in their seats and begin to pray. Somebody started praying out loud and confessing sin. Another man started praying out loud and confessing sin. And there were some wrestling mats there in the garage. And all 40 of us went and laid face down on those wrestling mats. And we had a two and a half hour prayer meeting. Guys were crying out to save souls. Guys were confessing sin. Guys were weeping. And I will never forget the touch of God that came when we became desperate for God and desperate for the gospel to change lives. Well, this had been really working in my heart and seeing that other young men really wanted to experience God. And it was a few days later that I went outside this school building and I was walking out into a park to go for a little jog and I saw three, three young men playing basketball at a court. And the Holy Spirit said to me, go tell them about Jesus Christ. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't want to talk to them about Jesus Christ. They're going to think that's weird. And the Holy Spirit said, go tell them about Jesus Christ. So I walked over there and I said, hey guys, I, I don't want to interrupt your game, but I just felt like God wanted to come over here and, and have me share something with you. And they were like, okay. So I asked them, has anyone ever told you from the Bible how you can know your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven? And this one guy's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a Lutheran. This other guy, oh yeah, my grandma maybe go to church. And this one dude's like, nah, I don't even know what you're talking about. So they let me start to share with them. I had the Bible app on my phone and I started to share the gospel. And I told them about how they were all sinners and we all deserve God's justice. We all deserve to be punished. And this one guy looked at me and he said, I'm done for, man. He said, I know I'm going to hell. He said, I, and he started listing off all these sins. And I was like, well, that was a little more than I wanted to know, but thank you. And he said, I know I'm going to hell. And this other guy's like, yeah, me too. And the third guy was like, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm going to hell too. And I said, well, well, let me share with you the rest of the story. And I went through the gospel about how they could get saved. And the, and the second guy, not the one who said, I know I'm going to hell. The second guy who said, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to hell too. He said, oh, I get it. So you've got to do all the sinning you want to do and then get saved. No. <laughs> that, that's, that's not the point. The point is that, that sin is bad and it's against God and it brings destruction to your life and that it displeases your Creator and you need to get saved for forgiveness and so that you can stop sinning. But you see, he didn't get it because the God of this world hath blinded his mind. I want to ask you a question. Why do we get so upset at lost people when they don't vote the way we think they should or when they support things that we don't think they should support? Why do we get so upset at them? What are sinners going to do best? Sin. So why do we get so upset that they are doing what they are naturally inclined to do? I understand that they're ruining America and they're disobeying God. I I get that. That's true. 
But why do we get so upset like we are personally being attacked by their sins? Because the Bible says that Satan hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So our calling as Christians is not to be constantly frustrated at people doing what they were born into, but we are called to send the light. They're going to do what their flesh leads them to do because they don't have the Spirit of God. They have not been born again. We can't expect anything less from the world than to sin. John said, the whole world lieth in wickedness. When I think of that phrase, I think of some man who has fallen into sinking sand and and the, the sludge and the slime is just rising up and engulfing him. Lieth in wickedness. The world is in the sinking sand of sin and false philosophy, and we are not to be upset that they are ruining America. We are to share the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So you can get on Facebook and post a political rant, or you can get some tracks and go tell some people the gospel. You, you, you can watch Fox News and let your blood pressure go up and yell at the TV. Or you can tell somebody about Jesus and take them out to lunch and share with them the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can turn on the radio and listen to Hannity and Limbaugh and get all frustrated at how stupid and idiotic everyone who doesn't agree with me is. Or you can invite somebody to church. You know what I mean? And and we just, we get our eyes off of the gospel and onto the wrong things. The whole point of this book, the whole reason the Old Testament was written was that we would know through the Jews who the Messiah was. That we would know who our Savior is. And the rest of this book is written so that we can know how to represent Jesus Christ, our Savior, to those who are dying and going to hell. So the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So send the light. Never give up. Never give in. There are still people who are getting saved. Sometimes we can throw up our hands, oh, these millennials, oh, this and that, oh, the liberals, oh, America's going downhill. Listen, don't give in. There are still people who are open to the gospel. You just have to find them. you got to find them. They're out there. There are people who God is in their life preparing them to be saved, and you just have to find them. That's encouraging, right? Because it's not about you. It's about what God does through you. So if you get rejected nine times, hey, maybe that tenth one's the one who's going to get saved. Amen? If you hand out 50 tracks and no one gets saved, hey, maybe the 51st, or maybe that track you gave is going to bear fruit and you'll never know until they get to heaven. Never give up. Never give in. Keep sending the light. And then look with me at verses 6 and 7. It says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That word earthen vessels just means clay pots. That's all we are. I want to see God move in my generation. I want to see God move in the world. But you know what I am? I'm just a clay pot. I mess up. I'm flesh and blood. I can be proud. I can be grumpy. I'm not perfect. I am just a clay pot that is easily fractured. But inside of me is a treasure that everyone else in the world needs. Inside of me is the ability to see people saved. Inside of me is the Holy Spirit that can guide me in prayer. Not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ can use you to see people saved? Is there someone in your neighborhood, someone in your workplace, someone in your family, who the Holy Spirit is going to work in you and use you to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Never grow dim. Never give up. You have received mercy. Never give in. There are still people being saved. And never grow dim. Let Jesus shine out of you. There's a story of an older man and he lived in Australia. And uh, there was a, a preacher in England. And one day at the end of the service, this older man, uh, a man stood up and said, I just want the church to know that I've recently been saved and I want to be baptized. He said, I was in Australia on a business meeting and this white-haired man jumped out on this street called George Street and, and he said, if you died, where would you go? And he handed me a track. And he said, that man shook me so much that uh, I ended up getting saved. The pastor flew a week later to Australia and he was in a church and he went out to church with a deacon from that church in Australia. And he asked the deacon, so how did you get saved? The deacon said, well, I grew up in this church and I was always influential and my family was very important. And one day I was in Sydney walking down George Street and this little white-haired man jumped out in front of me and said, Sir, if you died today, where would you go? And he handed me a track. He said, and I was angry at him. I told him, Sir, I go to church. I am a deacon. And that little old man said, That doesn't matter. Have you been saved? And he said, I went to my pastor and I said to my pastor, Can you believe what that little old man said to me? my pastor calmly said, you know, I've been wondering about your salvation for a long time. He said, and I just recently got saved. And then that pastor who met him in London flew to some of the Virgin Islands for a, a conference. And he was talking to some of the missionaries afterwards, and one of them was a, a missionary to India. And the man came up to him, and they were talking. He said, so tell me how you got saved. He said, well, I was a wealthy businessman. And one day I had a trip to Sydney, Australia. And I was walking down George Street and this strange white-haired man jumped out in front of me and said, are you 100% certain that you're going to heaven? And he handed me this track. He said, I had no idea what the guy was talking about. So I went home to, I went home to India and I, I went to my, my religious leader, my guru, and, and I, I went to him and I said, I, I don't understand this. What is this talking about? What is this man talking about? And he said, the guru couldn't help me, so he told me, well, why don't you go talk to that Christian pastor down there? I, I don't know about it either, so why don't you go talk to him? He said, so I went to that Christian pastor, and I came under conviction, and I converted, and I became a Christian. And this pastor from London is just shocked and amazed. 
a few weeks later, he's in Georgia, and he is leading a, a chaplain's meeting. And the head chaplain of, of the, the Navy, I believe it was, and he went out to, to dinner, and he said, so tell me, how did you get saved? He said, well, I was a very wicked and rebellious man. And then one year we had a layover in Sydney. He said, I was totally wasted, and I got on the bus, and I got off at the wrong street. It was George Street. He said, I got off, and this little white-haired man jumped in front of me and said, Sir, if you died today, would you go to heaven? He said, I was so scared that I thought it was a ghost. He said, I took that track, and I went back to my ship, and later on I read it, and I went to my chaplain and wanted to know what it means. And he said, since that time I've become a Christian, and now I'm leading all of these chaplains in the military. He couldn't believe it. This pastor could not believe what he heard. He went back to Australia for another meeting and met yet another person who had believed on Jesus Christ because a little white-haired man on George Street jumped out and accosted him with a track. He had to figure out who this man was, so he told this amazing story in a church. He tallied up that literally... Hundreds of thousands had been saved through the trickle-down of this one little man's testimony. The pastor of the church came up to him afterwards and said, I know who you're talking about. He attended my church. He said, he's too old and feeble. He can't even get out of the house, but I'd like to take you if you want to meet him. The pastor said, absolutely. So they went to this little old man's house, and with trembling hands, he served them tea and sat down and wanted to know what they talked about. And The pastor shared with him all of the men he had met who had gotten saved and all of the missionaries and souls who had been saved because of this one old man's testimony. And he said as he looked into that old man's eyes, he began to cry. And he said, Pastor, when I retired, I said I wanted to do something for God. And I knew that George Street was a great place to run into people. And he said for over 25 years... Almost every day I went there there and handed out tracts. Some days I couldn't because I was sick or it was raining. But he said almost every day I went there for over 25 years and I handed out tracts. And he said until today I have not heard of one person who received Jesus Christ. He said this is the first time that I have heard of anyone believing on Jesus Christ. But that elderly man, until he could barely walk anymore, he never gave up. He didn't give in, and he didn't grow dim. He let his light shine. And I hope tonight this will encourage you to not give up on sharing the gospel. Don't give up on going soul winning. Don't give up on handing out tracts. Don't give up on sharing the gospel with total strangers. Be filled with the Spirit and let Jesus come out of your life. Would you tonight, during the invitation, pray and say, God... Would you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can be used to lead others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Would you tonight surrender your heart and your life to be a witness for Jesus? And I know you've probably done that in the past. Maybe you're doing as much as you can now. But would you let the Holy Spirit fill you and control you to be the light for Jesus He wants you to be? And if you have never been saved, if you've never trusted Jesus, you're not going to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Believing in God isn't enough. Going to church isn't enough. You have to be born again by putting your faith in Jesus. How does that change you? Well, on the cross, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, was nailed. Nailed through His hands and His feet. 
He was beaten with a whip until his flesh was hanging from his body. He had a crown of thorns smashed into his head. He was spit on and mocked, but he didn't fight back because he came to die for our sins. On that cross, people mocked him and made fun of him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And on the cross, the perfect Son of God took all of your sin in his body. Every wicked thing you've said and thought and done, Jesus bore it in his body. And on the cross, he died so that you could be forgiven. Not because you're good, but because you're not good. And three days later, he rose from the dead, appeared to over 500 people, and they spread the message around the world. And that's how we know who Jesus is today. And if you have never believed on Jesus to save you from your sins, tonight you can have that change in your heart if you will admit you're a sinner, come to God knowing you cannot save yourself, and believe in Jesus Christ to save you. Just like an airplane. If I want to get to Africa, I would be stupid to try and swim. You're not going to get to heaven by trying. You have to get on the plane, and you have to trust the plane to take you there. And that's what salvation is. It's trusting Jesus Christ to take away your sins and get you to heaven. Have you chosen to trust Jesus to save you? If not, let tonight be your night. So as we come to this time of invitation, if you are a believer, would you ask God to use your life to share the gospel? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and change you on the inside? And if you have not believed on Jesus, would you tonight become born again by putting your faith in Jesus. Let's pray.